If you're not unlocking the full value of your SaaS, what are you doing? There is no denying it. SaaS is mission critical to your company's growth and success. And as the number two operating expense for most organizations, it's your biggest opportunity to save money and drive efficiency. The time is now to do something about it. Please take this as your personal invitation to join me and your fellow IT, SAM, finance, and procurement leaders at SASME on May 16th, 2023. SASME is the industry's only dedicated SaaS management event where you can sharpen your skills, hear from your peers, and learn how to unlock value and responsible business growth through smarter SaaS management. It's virtual, it's free, and it's going to knock your socks off. Register today at sasme.com. That's S-A-A-S me.com. It's time to get your sassing gear. Are you with me? At Netflix, we also, just for more context, have what's called uh, freedom and responsibility. So a user can have the tools that they need to do their job, but the expectation is that we all do this responsibly. And, you know, with Netflix's mission to entertain the world, we don't like the idea of putting guardrails, preventing any employees from creating great content because they don't have the software they need to do their job. So uh, you can imagine with this model, the SaaS sprawl and, you know, me and my experience, I just knew it was going to be quite large. I think that everybody, you know, at Netflix, maybe just because that data wasn't visible, they weren't entirely sure how big. Hello, hello, and welcome to SaaS Me Unfiltered, the SaaS management podcast. The show with give it to you straight, real life advice from pros knee deep in SaaS every single day. SaaS management superheroes just like you. We're back for another episode of SaaS Me Unfiltered. I'm very excited to have you join us today. I'm Corey Wheeler, co-founder and chief customer officer here at Xylo. Today, I'm so excited to welcome our guest. She is a software asset management powerhouse in the tech space today. She spent some time formerly at Expedia, spent time at Tableau and then Salesforce through that acquisition. At Expedia, she began on a finance and procurement path, moved into ITAM at Tableau and Salesforce. And as an IT and SAM leader today, she is certified in software asset management, program management, process improvement, vendor management, and contract negotiation. Today, she is the IT software asset manager at Netflix, where she is creating the global ITAM strategy, setting that vision and KPIs for the program, hiring and building out an internal and external team. And on top of all of that, in her spare time, she loves dogs, craft beer, yes, and the great outdoors. So welcome, Lindsay Stokes, to the SASME Unfiltered podcast. How are you, Lindsay? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, we're really excited to have you on. I think your journey is one that our listeners will learn a lot from as you look to build out ITAM, develop more mature practices, and start to measure that out internally at Netflix. So before we jump into that, I want to jump into our hot take section where we'll present a hot take and get your take on that once complete. Are you ready? I'm ready. Hey everyone, welcome to Hot Takes with Tom. I give it to you straight point of view on SaaS management and optimization. 
Today's hot take is that homegrown tools aren't cut out to solve the root problem that SaaS presents to organizations today. Why? Let's consider what most folks are doing today using a spreadsheet. It's literally a single moment in time, not to mention the crazy amount of work you're probably doing just to scrape all that data together. And I can tell you without a doubt, you don't have all of it either. The same goes for enterprises who build a tool in-house. Sounds good in theory. You have control of what the tool will be, but at what cost? A homegrown tool doesn't give you full visibility. For example, 40% of SaaS transactions are misclassified on expense reports. Would you rather miss out on that data or manually review tens of thousands of lines of employee expenses every single month? Ongoing discovery doesn't exist. The average large enterprise sees 13 new applications entering its environment every 30 days. Do you know all the applications available on the market so you can flag it when you see it? It's labor intensive. Enterprises have more than 600 apps in their portfolio. So for every one of those apps, do you really want to build a categorization taxonomy, manually assign functions to those tools, research security data like SOC 2 and GDPR, build one-off API connections to look at utilization, maintain contract data, access industry benchmarks, and send renewals with contextual actionable insights? Getting tongue-tied just thinking about all of it. I could go on and on, but ultimately building your own SaaS management tool is a bad business decision. It's really just a glorified spreadsheet. Discovery is point in time and only captures part of the picture. It's manual and time intensive and prone to error. I mean, how can you really trust that data? You're taking resources away from your core business purpose, and you're looking at multiple full-time headcount just to maintain this with a very specific skill set, not counting the IT and procurement roles managing the actual SaaS portfolio. Bottom line, don't reinvent the wheel and don't make it harder than it has to be. There are dedicated purpose-built tools like Xylo available to help you manage your SaaS your way. Lindsay, your hot take, why don't homegrown tools just cut it for SaaS? Do you agree with that? What's your hot take on that subject? Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. And honestly, most companies can't afford to wait for a tool to be built to have all the features that you just mentioned, you know, if you're doing it internally. Uh, you'd have to wait years to get it, even part of the ROI of building it internally. And honestly, like at Netflix, we kind of had the same situation where we didn't even really have the resources to perform a lot of those tasks manually while waiting on a tool to be built. And also, I think a lot of companies can relate. You need data to help inform decision-making like yesterday. <laughs> so <laughs> waiting for that is really difficult, especially when, when you need that visibility as soon as possible. Okay, that's really, really wonderful to hear. And I love that perspective. I think you're in a really exciting place. You know, being able to build out ITAM and SAM and SaaS management policies and procedures and strategies inside a very fast-growing tech organization. You know, I spend time at Salesforce and Salesforce experienced the explosion of SaaS before most other organizations did at scale. And Netflix is going through that as well. And we're seeing a, the advent of a lot of enterprises now reaching scale where SaaS management isn't just a 500-employee problem where they just have too many apps. Now it's becoming a governance problem, a security problem, certainly a cost problem as well. So I can't wait to dig into this with you at Netflix, but I want to back up just a little bit. I walked through in the overview how your career profile has gone, but maybe walk us through that. How did you get started in your career? What were some of those pivotal moments that really led you to get to this point to jump into Sam and now be building and leading Sam at Netflix? Yeah, it's actually been quite an interesting journey. I held a lot of different roles starting out, but I feel like the pivotal role for me was actually at Expedia. 
And just like how my career started, I wore many, many hats at Expedia. I changed departments frequently. I was still really trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. So I actually eventually through many different roles landed a procurement ops gig. So that was out of the Springfield, Missouri office. And it was such a big deal back then because that office was very operations focused and didn't really have many opportunities to work with corporate out of Seattle in most of those roles. So this role was one of those where there was just a lot of relationship building and support at that corporate level. And I spent a few years in procurement and eventually was promoted to lead the team. And I really enjoyed that that role. At this point, I had built great relationships with my partners like ITAM, which brings me to that pivotal moment that brought me to ITAM. It's actually through relationship building and offering great support over the years that I was offered the opportunity to join their team. And in all honesty, I had zero experience other than knowing what they purchased. So they definitely took a chance on me. That's beginning my exciting new life in ITAM. And I also relocated to the Pacific Northwest. So I relocated to Seattle for that role. I did immediately love it. And I wanted to prove why they hired me. So I wanted to learn as much about how to be successful in this space as possible. And my knowledge from the procurement side was something no one else had. So that actually came in really handy on numerous occasions. And I actually fondly refer to my my tenure at Expedia as uh, Expedia University, just because of that that learning path that I I went through and learning so many different sides of the business and how that actually overlaps with ITAM. So that was really monumental. And then at Expedia, the program was actually a pretty well-oiled machine, and it had been in place for over a decade. So it was actually pretty mature at that point. So the opportunity to actually join Tableau was to build a program from scratch. So the decision was really exciting and very scary, not obvious at the time. I was quite terrified, actually. I'd never built a program before. So that imposter syndrome was really setting in before I even accepted the role. But you know, you sometimes have to remember that on the other side of fear is growth. And my thirst for knowledge was still unrelenting. So I joined and I I built a hardware and a software asset management program that was actually still being improved and matured when Salesforce actually came in and acquired Tableau. So, you know, no program is perfect. And there's always room to improve in this space and build upon and mature it. But I felt like I was kind of back in what felt like another well-oiled machine yeah, and yeah. this is obviously by no surprise since it's led by actually a previous guest on your podcast, Jason Owens, who is right. an exceptional leader. So it was a, a difficult decision to leave that environment too. But when the call from Netflix came, it was really, it was another opportunity to build and to lay a foundation. I'm a huge Netflix consumer. I've been a customer since DVDs were arriving oh, yeah. in the mail. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I'm a big fan. And that one was actually a no-brainer. So yeah, long, long story short, I do love ITAM. I, I feel like I finally found that passion in my work. No two days are the same. And I feel like I'm constantly challenged and forced to think outside the box. And I get to solve really impactful business problems. I mean, who doesn't want to wake up and do that every single day? Yeah, what a great overview. The varying levels Jumping into a building an organization from scratch, jumping into a well-oiled machine to both benchmark your work and learn about what you're going to do in the future is so amazing. And I often correlate procurement and software asset management as very, very similar functions. You know, they are groups within a larger organization and maybe not like the primary group. And finance, you know, finance is driving FP&A and and accounting and procurement usually sits somewhere in there because they're driving optimization. In IT, you have 
you know, enterprise RT, IT and engineering and, and some of those other areas. And software asset management is always there. And so there are smaller groups within these large functions that are charged with very similar things. Have your eyes across the entire organization. Do what's right for the company. Look for opportunities to drive scale and efficiency and improvements. And in that way, it is an incredibly strategic role. It's one that you define as you go if you throw yourself into it. And your experience, my goodness, to be able to get all of that through those stops and jump into different points, it feels very, very well-rounded as you continue to embark on the overall journey at Netflix. So just an observation there that that level of background really lends itself to building now in your own image, a world-class SAM hardware asset management ITAM organization at Netflix. So with that, I'd love to kind of take a, a step back and start to think about your current role, You know, your role today at Netflix. So talk about that journey you know, coming in probably through the interview process, or maybe a lot of times after you jump into an organization, what really was the impetus for Netflix saying, we need that level of visibility. We need a strategy around software and software asset management and ITAM. And we, we affectionately refer to it as that oh shit moment internally. Was there an oh shit moment for Netflix or was it just, you know, continual improvement and a larger strategy? How did that all come to be? Yeah, great question. There's actually been a couple of those moments. And for my benefit, actually, one of those happened before I joined, which is the reason I'm here. So that's exciting. But yeah, when I joined, I, I feel like, you know, when you come in and you, you take that time to really just listen to, you know, current state, I took the time to really understand the business and what was happening and the process that was in place. And honestly, that moment for me was just shortly after our learning and talking to a lot of the stakeholders in this whole process. There's really hardly any data. There's disparate tracking, you know, a lack of resources and no standard process across the board. So at Netflix, we also just for more context have what's called uh, freedom and responsibility. So a user can have the tools that they need to do their job, but the expectation is that we all do this responsibly. And, you know, with Netflix mission to entertain the world, we don't like the idea of putting guardrails, preventing any employees from creating great content because they don't have the software they need to do their job. So uh, you can imagine with this model, the SaaS sprawl and me and my experience, I just knew it was going to be quite large. I think that everybody at Netflix, maybe just because that data wasn't visible, they weren't entirely sure how big. And I think that folks assumed that the responsibility part was happening on a regular basis. But, you know, as we in the industry know that that's not always the case and sometimes yeah. in understanding what their responsibility is, because what you don't know, you don't know. And, you know, there's a lot involved with bringing new tools into the environment. So yeah, that moment, we basically, I knew we needed visibility first. I mean, how could we make informed decisions about what's best for Netflix without data to tell the story? That's it. It always starts with data. I love it. Did this feed into, as you came in, a larger company directive? You know, was Netflix going through anything where they said, you know, expenses, we need to be responsible around expenses. Was there a larger charge for the organization? And I asked that looking at the majority of our customer base that is now flattening headcount, flattening OPEX, trying to drive down OPEX. Was there anything really leading that charge as a, as a larger scale business outcome that your program fed and continues to feed into? Grow expenses slower than revenue. And with what we're doing here, it's ideally we want to not only one, give the data to help 
basically make the decisions of how we grow those expenses. And ultimately, we want to reduce it because, you know, there's such an opportunity with software asset management with just knowledge of how things are operating to make better decisions. And so the first thing on my mind is, you know, how are we effectively managing this? Are there reclamation opportunities? Like, are there a lot of things, a lot of waste and opportunities to reclaim all those? The other big one is even right-sizing our investments, because if you're growing your basically the SaaS space based on your headcount year over year, that's not really a good indication of if that is actually being used. It also leads into redundancy. We have a lot of different tools that do the same thing. And there's a lot of tools out there that I think by design, they have a lot of features and some do better than others in some areas. So there's always going to be that redundancy because, you know, again, like with our model, folks want to use works best for them. And that might not always be the same tool. Okay. So redundancy, big theme for the year, you know, really getting out in front of all of these different insights throughout the business. You know, a lot of things that you have a hunch that are happening, but then you have to confirm that. So what's that journey look like? How did you do this before we began working together? What was that process that you went through to try to validate, get the data and action on it? Yeah. And actually the journey is is still underway. So 2023 is going to be a really big year for us since Now we have a tool like Xylo helping us centralize our repository and really just gathering what's out there. What have we been purchasing? What are people using? And we really want to have the opportunity to use that data to sunshine the plethora of opportunities that we have. And that's also in tandem with following a standard process, which we didn't have previously. So we definitely have a lot of work to do and some big 2023 goals. And a lot of that even includes that user education. And you know, we also want to offer maybe like a preferred list of software. We're actually calling it Paved Road, really just to give users, I guess it's probably what I would say is a white glove treatment when it comes to software. So they don't have to manage and maintain it. So we will have support from a renewal perspective, from maintaining all of the licenses, the reclamation opportunities and all that. And that's actually in hopes that folks would prefer to go that route rather than bringing in a lot of other obscure tools. We know that's going to happen. I mean, there's going to be use cases where folks have to go outside that paved road. But I think that's part of the education process. If users have something they can choose from, and maybe if we offer you know, this white glove experience, they are more likely to use those options. So yeah, exciting things coming this year. I'm really uh, looking forward to seeing how this improves actually the overall user experience as well. Yeah, it's going to be a really fun year. What are some of those fundamentals that the program is based around? And I guess what I'm leaning towards is, is this really beginning with cost reduction as a primary metric and something that you're looking to pin the program to? How do you think about what that lens is going to be this year as a priority? Yeah, it's really interesting because there's just, I feel like there's so many priorities now that we have data to actually prioritize. So it's uh, one of those things like we have an emphasis on security. And I feel like that's obviously we want to keep Netflix data to to secure. And then also, you know, in the past, we didn't have as much of a focus on the cost reduction part, but that's a really big theme. I feel like company wide this year where we want to show how we can contribute to that. And obviously, as we mentioned, you know, software asset management, there's so much low hanging fruit and ways to contribute to that. So I feel like we definitely have more than one focus area and they're all very important. And this is only just a couple. (laughs) So I feel like we have a lot of priorities for the year, but yeah, there's just so much opportunity to, like you said, I mean, impact the company from a cost reduction standpoint 
And also, I already mentioned improving the user experience because I feel like in the past, that's been quite painful. So that's a really important aspect too, because we want our employees to feel productive and not spend a lot of time churning on getting the tools they need to do their job. Right. But yeah, and then also we want to further on that complete visibility is our North Star. We want to continue uncovering what's out there in the environment. We definitely want to continue to see the opportunities that we have to either, again, right-size investments, consolidating some of these opportunities. Because, you know, like a lot of companies, you might even have corporate agreements, but then there's also users expensing that they could be uh, consolidated under those agreements. So there's just so much. I feel like I could go on for days about the opportunities. So I hate to say we're focusing on so many, but we just have so many opportunities like many companies. But you framed that out so well. You said we're finding these opportunities because now we have visibility into all of this. And that's something that we've talked a lot about with all of our customers is, you know, if you want to set a comprehensive strategy, you can't do that unless you understand what you're working with. You're not able to set a governance strategy around shadow IT until you see the level of the problem or the opportunity that exists. So that's so well articulated that now that we have this visibility, now we're able to build all of these out. That is critical to any sort of strategic program around software and SaaS management. And complete visibility being the North Star is something we operate off of as well. Okay, so I I want to dig into the concept of freedom and responsibility. Super cool concept. And Xylo started in 2016. And most software companies would be saying things like, we don't get in the way of our users, our engineers, our devs, they're here to get work done. We manage everything on the back end and no friction is the strategy. For a lot of our customers now, that has shifted pretty quickly and pretty radically in an effort to bring the bottom line back into where it needs to be to overall have your revenue and expenses hit the right targets. Fundamentals matter now. And so internally at Netflix, I think you guys have gone through evolution of this as well. But how do you manage and how do you balance cost optimization with freedom and responsibility. And responsibility definitely indicates that. But those two concepts are a little bit at odds sometimes. So how do you manage that? And how has that that changed since you began at Netflix? Absolutely. And striking that balance. And there's a lot of different ways that we influence this. I feel like, as I mentioned, we don't have a lot of guardrails. And with that freedom, we just we expect the responsibility. So I think, you know, what we're trying to do is a little bit more emphasis on the responsibility side. So from our perspective, it really just means educating those users, like I mentioned before, and letting them understand what's available to them, publishing what's out there. And then also you know, maybe even making those suggestions like with paved road, like, hey, this would be more beneficial for me if I went this route rather than this route. So we're really making strategic bet on that and being really successful. Also, we want to focus on being a bit more proactive. So in the past, we've been very reactive when it comes to any kind of application entering the environment. So we want to start being a bit more proactive and not necessarily to put guardrails. It's really just to understand users' needs and letting them know what's already existing and you know how it might help them. And then if there's anything beyond that, obviously supporting their need. And again, informing the responsibility of if they were to use this tool, if it's what they need. Because again, you know, not all applications, we can't support them fully from a sourcing perspective or even a license management perspective. I mean, there's just a lot of work involved in that. So we've curated a list of what we can support for this time. Obviously, we want to expand upon that. But you know, just letting the users know what that means for them if they want to continue using that and their responsibility for it. So we're hoping that they'll uh, take the curated list, uh, white glove 
process over, you know, bringing something in that would involve more work for them. Yeah. And you hit on the proactive versus reactive. And I think sometimes people throw that out there. We want to be more proactive than reactive. But in a role within ITAM and procurement, it's table stakes. Because when you are reactive, you are red tape, you are controls, you are getting in the way, and you are not viewed as an enabler to the business. You're slowing business down. But when you are proactive, it's a delightful experience. Your end users, when you're bringing them those insights, they want to engage with you because they have the time and the strategic space to be able to do that. But being reactive gives you a bad reputation throughout the organization. So owning this data is is super cool. So that- I love how you said that actually, because I feel like in my experience, like that, that's just been met with that kind of perception. If you are reactive in letting somebody know that actually this is a huge risk for the company and we really want to recommend that we take another approach. Like sometimes those teams are already, you know, have implemented it and are using it and it's part of their process. And that's so much more difficult to unwrap and redo than if you catch it from the beginning and then they're like, oh, okay, well, I need to explore other options early on. So I love how you said that because that's a real problem too, you know, when you have that reactive approach. So that's the goal is to move more proactive for sure. It makes work a lot more fun. That's for sure as well. So you know, most organizations that I talk to, certainly customers that we work with, OPEX, right? OPEX is the focus. Right now, most headcount is flat. And that's your number one OPEX line item. Your second largest OPEX line item for many organizations is SaaS, is technology, it's software spend. So what role do you play in that directive today at Netflix? Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like we always have a contributing role when it comes to OPEX, you know, with software, there's just so many opportunities to like, we've been talking about in this whole conversation, uh, you know, basically we want to showcase how we can help for one, because now we have a lot of data to help inform what's happening. So now that we have our tooling in place, we're basically actioning on that. And we are trying to sunshine a lot of the opportunities where we can contribute to reducing that OPEX. So Again, part of our 2023 strategy is really just bringing in a lot of the application owners, letting them know the opportunities, helping them. Because again, we have a very small team. We definitely still have a lot of folks managing some of the tools in our environment just because of the resourcing. So we're relying pretty heavily on a lot of those admins to basically execute on a lot of these things. But again, Mm -hmm. they need the data. They need the information. You know, If you're in a portal and you're adding in users because they've onboarded, a lot of times, like that might be it. That might be the the sole reason they're in there. So not noticing a lot of the other opportunities. And not all software application portals have the analytics to alert you that, hey, there's an opportunity. Go in here, pull this license back. This person's not using it. You know, some do, but not all of them. So sometimes it might just take a little bit of a nudge. So now that we have like a lot more data centralized and the software asset management team can see that, we can start sharing a lot of those opportunities. And it's visible. So that's the other part is visibility is so huge because now that we can see it, you know, we can start talking to these teams. Is their issue a resourcing problem? Do they not have the time to go in and effectively manage this? So then that way too, that raises another indicator that we need some attention on this. So yeah. I think we're going to learn a lot this year. And I'm really excited to partner with a lot of the teams to understand like, how they've been managing these and what they need to do it more effectively. Yeah. Showcase the data. It's data-driven. If you begin there, you're never wrong. If you're always looking at the data, it's the underpinning of any great org. So 
as you look at those critical ingredients for success in SaaS management, how are you looking to start to measure success for your org around SaaS management at Netflix? Yeah, it's a great question. Again, because this program is so new, we're looking at a lot of those KPIs. And honestly, Xylo has been really helpful to showcase insights into what we should be paying attention to and how we want to measure the success against those opportunities. So I feel like that's going to be something that is definitely going to be built upon over the course of this year as we start to realize more things that we want to start reporting out and sharing where those opportunities lie. And then obviously how effectively we're actually taking action against those. So I feel like a lot of those are still being built, but it's going to be a big year for that, especially as we partner with all these teams to actually make a lot of these impactful changes in the way that we're managing SaaS. Yeah, you've shared with us historically that one of the biggest ingredients is patience, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen instantaneously. You know, when you're looking at apps, when you're looking at licenses, you've got to take the right approach for your business. So I love how you frame that out. It's patience because it all is a methodology and takes that time. Yes, nothing happens overnight in this space. I feel like, you know, that maturity takes time and that also takes patience. There's a lot involved in a lot of stakeholders and stakeholders processes that you have to take into account, especially when you've been building a program and a process because Sam touches so many different things. And it's the tracking of that, you know, whole life cycle of of going through all of these different teams. And, you know, it just is one of those things is, Again, it just takes time and there's no one size fits all either. So it's not, you know, a lift and shift of a process. You really have to take the time to really understand the business needs. So yes. Yeah. So we're talking about the strategy and the wins and the KPIs and the successes, but maybe turning that on its head just a little bit is in your experience, where have you seen some of those missteps? Maybe some of those trip ups that organizations have around asset management when they're looking at SaaS What are the missteps that you might have even experienced or learned from when addressing software as a service and the strategy to take on there? In my experience, security has always been a really, I guess, a a big one to balance the freedom and responsibility like at Netflix and then even at other companies. You know, we've even talked about the reactive versus proactive. I feel like that's one that, uh, you know, depending on how mature you are, and then that takes time, you know, you want to, to move to a more measured approach. Again, we don't want guardrails in place. Um, so we want to strike the right balance between uh, this approach. And, and obviously, there's so many applications in, in the environment too, where I think there's a retroactive that would need to happen. But you know, for for me, I think like that's been the biggest uh, challenge is striking that balance and then keeping with the company culture here at Netflix because the folks in these roles, they need something to do something and usually pretty quickly. <laughs> like Everything's yeah. urgent in the software space. Everybody wants what they need immediately. And so a lot of times I think, you know, in this reactive state that a, a lot of companies can be in that that full vetting doesn't happen up front. And then the folks that are bringing it in the environment don't necessarily know that step is is pretty vital into bringing it in. So yeah, still something that we're working through and making sure that we keep our company culture in place with that freedom and responsibility, but also ensuring that we're secure and our data is secure. And I, I got to admit, like I know that this is a kind of an orthodox in this industry is to to give so much freedom to folks because I've worked for 
many companies that, you know, there are strict security guidelines in place and it's meant to protect the company, you know, from basically any risk. And, but the problem with that and that I've encountered is, you know, a lot of times that these users don't get the tools that they need in a timely manner because a lot of times the security reviews are so lengthy too. And so again, in the entertainment industry, you've got to make quick moves. And in a lot of industries, actually, um, most of the companies I've worked for, you know, the users have something that they need to turn around and they need the tools to do it quickly. I know it's a bit different, but even in the companies I've worked for that had really strict security guidelines, shadow IT is inevitable. It was still out there. Things were still being brought into the environment without going through the proper process. So I feel like it's something that still would happen. And so at Netflix, it's more like, you know, we didn't want to have those guardrails because we knew it would happen. So our emphasis is really on educating the users so we can at least reduce how often it's happening. Sure. Well, this has been an awesome overview of your experience, your perspective, where you're headed. And boy, I can't wait to continue that journey. I want to close this out with uh, our rapid fire segment. I will throw out a few high level items and I'd love to get your quick take. It can be one word. It can be a sentence or less, but your quick take on each of these. Okay. Deal. All right. First up, SAS Sprawl. Oh, I guess. First part of the game is robust. <laughs> <laughs> we see that everywhere. Even here at Zylo, we have sprawl within our own organization. So we see that uh, and it's not always a bad thing. Okay, cost savings or risk mitigation? That's a tough one too. I feel like I have to say both because they're both a focus for me for 2023 for sure. And I feel like ongoing. So yeah, both. I think that's the right answer. Uh, okay, the question I have, IPA versus stout, and what's your favorite brewery? Maybe two questions in there. Yeah, well, that's an easy one. Hands down, IPA. Oh, yeah. Favorite brewery it has to be Cloudburst Brewing out of Seattle, Washington. I miss their beer so much. I can't get it. So I live in Southern California. Now. I relocated for Netflix yeah. to LA, and you can't get it here. It only serves the Pacific Northwest, so... I look forward to my trips back to Seattle so I can have a Cloudburst beer. All right. I'm going to put that on my list as well. Uh, dog lover, what's your favorite dog breed? Oh, man. Well, I love all dogs. Sure. I feel like I definitely lean towards certain breeds. I grew up on a farm in the Midwest, so we had German Shepherds to protect the place. So I feel like through most of my life, I've had German Shepherds until recently. I now have too many schnauzers, which <laughs> is on the opposite end of the spectrum there. But they're great. They're so cute. And they have a great demeanor. And they're really intelligent, easy to train like German Shepherds. They're just a smaller package. (laughs) Right, right. And maybe a purse that you can fit them into. Who knows? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Okay. And as an outdoors lover, camping or glamping? You know, I've got to go with glamping, but I feel like I was glamping before it was trendy. I was one of those people I just wanted to be comfortable because I struggled to sleep in a camping environment. So I would have like a large cozy bed. I would even put like a bedspread on it. (laughs) I had a rug and a a little battery powered Coleman ceiling fan. Like I wanted to be comfortable. And in the Midwest, it gets really hot in the summer. So you have to have a fan in there. So I feel like I was doing that before it was cool. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really take a lot away from your perspectives on how you've approached each stop, you know, in your career. I think everything, you probably agree with this, everything you've done has led up to this point in your career to truly build an org in your own vision and focus on what matters most and stay true to those core principles and innovate, which is why I'm so excited to partner with you. So 
Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I can't wait to have you on again to chat and uh, have a great afternoon, okay? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Did you enjoy the episode? Pass it along to your friends. Subscribe to get notifications for the latest episode. Share your favorite takeaways and join the conversation on social media using hashtag SassMeUnfiltered. Thank you.